People consider permanent contraception for lots of reasons, whether it's because they've completed their family or because they have medical or financial reasons why a pregnancy would be unsafe, or if they simply just don't want kids. On today's show, Hannah chats to two women who have made the decision to undergo procedures for permanent contraception, and they cover some of the issues surrounding this process. Hi guys, my name is Hannah and I'm a doctor working with a particular passion for contraception and reproductive rights. Today on the show, we are talking about permanent contraception. Now for men, permanent contraception is in the form of vasectomy and we cover this in detail in another episode. Today we are focusing on permanent contraception for women. We're going to talk about what's available, where you can access it, and what are the benefits, risks, and side effects you need to be aware of. So to do that, I'm joined today by two guests who have some first-hand experience undergoing procedures for permanent contraception. So welcome to the show, Sarah and Louise. G'day. <laughs> Hi. So one of the good things, I guess, about having you both on the show is that you've You've both had procedures for permanent contraception, but they were done under quite different personal circumstances. And we're going to chat about that a bit later. But firstly, can you just um, tell me a bit about yourselves? We might start with you, Louise. Okay. Well, I'm 31. I have three kids. They're crazy, but adorable <laughs> at the same time. I live on the coast. I stay at home and look after them. Just your typical crazy housewife. Nice. How old are your kids? Um, we've got Kaylee's eight and then it goes five and almost two wonderful busy busy yeah very <laughs> and sarah what about you um so i'm 28 i am an engineer working in it i have no kids currently living in sydney i do love traveling i'm actually coming back from a one of my road trips wonderful yeah you've done a lot of traveling just to be here today so thank you for that <laughs> i appreciate it thought it'd be helpful to start before you actually had these procedures for permanent contraception. Mm -hmm. Can you guys just tell me what different types of contraception you'd used prior to going through these procedures? Sarah, you're up. Sure. So I've used uh, obviously condoms, um, also some globules. I don't know how they're called properly. It's something that you actually put in and it melts and it stops the sperm to go up oh like, oh, a, like spermicide? a spermicide yeah yeah that's what it is and also i've been on the pill for 12 years i still use them mostly use them to skip my periods but i'm considering to start using something else yeah okay and did you have any particular issues with the pill or side effects concerns that made you want to opt for something else Actually, no, I think I lacked out. I never had any problems. <laughs> I read so many posts, um, you know, that w when women were saying, oh, I, was, I get depressed or I have lots of problems and imbalances, it never happened to me. So I think I, I got very lucky. Yeah, well, that's good. There's, yeah, so much variability with experience with the pill, I think. So that's lucky. What about you, Louise? What have you used? Um, same, same thing, condoms. Um, and the pill starting very young. So I was like 12 because I got really bad acne. Yep. So the pill helped settle that down. But I did get bad side effects as well. Mood ones, m majority. And also, which is the, one of the reasons why we ended up down the path. And here today, my family has a history of blood clots. So, but we didn't find out till later on. Right. So it's a no, it's a no go for me. Yeah. <laughs> the good old pill. Yeah. And so... This question probably relates a bit to what you've already said, but what kind of factors contributed to your decision to go for a permanent form of contraception? So for me, I suppose the biggest one was when I was pregnant with my second daughter, I got quite ill 
women often get varicose veins in their legs. Yep. Um, but my both my father and my brother passed away from spontaneous blood clots without symptom. Wow. And there's a gene called thrombophilia. And if you've got it, you are at higher risk of, of having a deep DVT, the deep vein thrombosis. So um, I got tested for that and it turns out that I'm at quite a high risk. And the result was that I wasn't to have any more babies and I needed to get a tubal litigation or my partner needed to get a vasectomy. Yeah, okay. And so obviously, well, for me, we were split. I'd met a new partner. I wasn't going to put them through something when it was my, I, the way I felt was that it's my responsibility if I can't carry a baby then I should make sure I'm not carrying babies <laughs> yeah I guess it's um, nice to have some control over yeah. that risk for yourself yeah. when it's such a serious medical condition yeah that's right yeah that's yeah. interesting um what about you Sarah what were the factors that contributed to your decision I actually never wanted to have kids and for me taking birth control to stop having the kids it was actually very stressful mm. yeah um you know whenever my period got late I was like oh my god where is that next <laughs> was this one abortion clinic <laughs> um so I was it was very stressful for me so I actually did it to just be stress-free yeah okay yeah. and was that have you always felt that way that just from a young age you never wanted kids or um, was that something you decided as an adult I was nine, nine. when I decided um, yeah, wow. kids are not for me um yeah. And was there like a specific, you know, something that happened that made you feel that way? Or was it just that's the age that you kind of realised? Yeah, I think that for was me. the stage I realised. I think I've seen lots of family members getting new, uh, newborn babies because I was actually born quite late. My mum had me when she was like 40. Yeah. So all of my cousins already had babies and mm. everything. Uh, and I looked at them and I was like, oh, that seems hard. <laughs> That's really interesting because my mum had me when she was 40. Mm. And as a child, I never wanted babies as well, the same as you. And actually going into my marriage, I was like, I don't want children. And had I had a tubal litigation before I'd met that partner, I probably never would have because I've never been driven to have children for similar, ex almost exactly the same reasons. Mm. And then I find that so interesting because like I obviously I adore my kids, that goes without saying, but on the other hand, I can understand and fully understand the desire not to have children because I felt like that. And I think part of me did it mostly for my partners because they were like, we want a baby. And yeah. I was like, okay, let's, you know, but yeah. same situation, so 40 year old mum, all my cousins were having kids. I was like, oh, God, this looks terrible. I don't want to <laughs> <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> it's different when you see the, the actual reality of, of having a baby, isn't it? It's worrying that nine-year-old me was smarter than 23-year-old me. That's <laughs> just different life stage. Um, and so, obviously, Louise, you've said you've got three kids mm -hmm. and Sarah, you don't have any kids. When you went to kind of suss out about having permanent contraception, was that a question you were asked whether you have kids and how did you feel about being asked that in that situation? I never minded when people ask me, oh, do you have kids? Um, it's a normal question. You know, they have to, you know, kind of go through the process and ask you questions. Um, the problem started when they actually weren't happy about my answer. Mm. Yeah. So... So what kind of reactions did you get from that when you said you didn't have any children? I had one doctor once telling me that I'm out of time. Out of time? Yeah, I was 26. And he told me, time, time. You don't have much time. Oh, right. Oh, wow. <laughs> like crack on and have yeah. a baby. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I got the question as well. And the follow-up question for me was always, 
are you sure you won't want more? Yep. And I'm, well, I can't have, you've just read my file. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to carry the baby for me? Because I can't do it. Yeah. But yeah, that that is a big, they do seem to focus on that a lot when you go in. Yeah. Yeah. And what age were you guys when you started seeking out, you know, a doctor or someone to do this procedure for you? I was 30. Yep. Yeah. And was were you kind of looking to have something done at the time of delivery of your baby or was it after you'd already given birth? And you were We had it planned. So we okay. had it planned. So I had my last baby and they said that needs to be the last one and then we all organise it after that. So okay. um, there was a wait period, which was frustrating because I can't take the pill because I'm at risk of clotting. Yeah. So there was a lot of condom use <laughs> yeah, yeah. and a lot of, and it's the same thing, a lot of worry because, you know, if I was a day or two late, and we were using condoms. I knew it wasn't 100%, but it go through the public health system and you've got to wait. Yeah, so. naturally a waiting period. Um, and what about you, Sarah? How old were you? Um, I started looking for opinions when I was 26. Yep. Um, I had the surgery at 28, um, but it was not because I had to wait. It's because I had problems finding a doctor that actually would agree to do it. Mm. Yeah. Um, after I found one, it just took a month. Okay, so pretty quick, yeah. So we'll explore that a bit further in a minute. But who did you see in the first instance when you'd made that decision? Or in Louise's situation, that decision was kind of made for you almost, that you needed something definitive. Yeah, my GP wrote the referral at the end of the day. So I saw her after birth, they do like a checkup. Yep. with the baby and we went through it then okay um and it sounds like you went through the public system yeah public yep, yep. okay and sarah did you see gp or family planning clinic where um, did you go first gp okay and it sounds like you ended up seeing a private doctor that's that right yeah yep. okay and was that in sydney yep. or that yep. was in sydney cool and so you've already said sarah that you did have some resistance to having the procedure done. Can you just tell us a bit about what you had to kind of endure or go through to get to find a doctor that would do it for you? Mm, so I have a few of really bad stories. Oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately. So, um, so my GP was kind of okay after I expressed to her that I want to do it. Um, she asked me what my husband will say <laughs> or um, what if I change my partner, let's say me and my partner decide to split and um, what if I find someone new or uh, am I sure what my family thinks about it and I was like that's not their opinion mm-hmm. um, but yeah eventually she got to it and um, I got a few referrals from her to different doctors because I was going for different uh, gynecologists to actually do it I think the most traumatic experience I had was with one doctor back in Sydney uh, I got a referral to her and uh, she didn't, she didn't even want to speak to me. She just said, she just um, looked at the referral and said, uh, you know, permanent contraception. She's just like, no, I will not do it for you. And right. she was like, she didn't ask me a question why. She didn't ask me a question like, uh, like I, why I don't want to, why I want to do it. Uh, have I explored other possibilities, like different types of contraception? Just says, no, I'm not going to do it. It's against my belief. Women should have at least one child. Right. Before they actually do the surgery. And I was like, what? That's not what okay. it is. And was that the first gynecologist um, that you saw? It was or? like third, I think. Okay. Second. Wow. So you, how many did you see in total? So in total, I went to four different doctors. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. So I guess 
and I'm sorry if I go on a bit of a tangent <laughs> right here, because for me, I am really in two minds on this mm. topic because on the one hand, like I'm a feminist, I feel yeah. very strongly that women should have autonomy over their reproductive capacity. And if that's a decision that you've made, who has the right to tell you that it's not right for you? I think yeah. that's like, I feel really strongly that that's true. Um, and it frustrates me that maybe a 28 year old with four kids might be offered permanent contraception, but a 28 year old mm. with no kids would m- very commonly be declined. Yep. Um, But I guess the other thing is I have a bit of a bias because of my medical training and within medicine, we're always trying to, you know, use interventions that are going to be the least risky, you know, most effective, you know, we're always looking for the safe, least invasive procedure where we can. So obviously in terms of contraception, because there's so many other options available, especially now with the longer acting reversible ones, I think maybe surgical contraception has less of a role now but at the end of the day it's always going to be an option that's appropriate for some people and yeah I think um it's something that comes up on obviously have my little Instagram page and this issue comes up a lot and people feel you know really not heard I think you know lots of people feel that they they would like permanent contraception and as you said Sarah you know it's really unhelpful if you come across a clinician who just blanketly says no I won't do it without you know taking your specific situation into consideration so I think it's crazy as well because you look at the cosmetic world and the surgery that is in place there and if I walk in to get my boobs four times bigger, <laughs> someone's going to do that without a fight. Yeah, but if I walk true. in and say, I'm not ready, I don't want children ever, I'm going to have to argue the point four times, yeah. like four times, yeah. simply because it's not – for us, it doesn't seem like – and I, I understand um, where you're coming from with the medical information, but it doesn't seem like it's simply a path of least resistance when they offer that – the other contraception it feels like it's a societal pressure of oh you haven't had kids you're going to change your mind yeah and you feel very undermined whereas yeah. like I said if it was a boob job or a facelift or anything else <laughs> yeah. they don't care about the path of what's yeah. let's give you some better options like something less invasive to get rid of your wrinkles they're like sure let's chop you up so it it's does a very seem, excellent point that you yeah. make. Um, and one of the other frustrating things, I guess, from a medical point of view is that we're obviously, we're always trying to make decisions based on evidence. And the best quality evidence in medicine is from what we call randomized control trials. And basically that's when you, you randomize people to either having an intervention or not having it. And obviously we can't do that with something like permanent contraception. Mm. You can't just be like, oh, sorry, you're in the, you've got to go have a tubal <laughs> ligation. You're in that group. Like that's ethically not okay. So we're never going to have perfect research into this. But I just wanted to read a little excerpt from a study that was actually done by the Midwifery Research Unit at a Hornsby Hospital back in 2002. And in this study, it was a case control study. So it's less good evidence than a randomized control trial but it's more ethical in this situation I guess so they compared 97 women who had undergone sterilization procedures who then later regretted it to the point that they requested IVF 
and they compared the baseline characteristics of that group to a group of 100 women who had also had sterilisation procedures but remained satisfied with it. And I just wanted to read this because I thought it would shed a bit further light on that discussion about why gynaecologists sometimes seem like they're really dismissive. Mm. So they basically said in the multivariate analysis of data, age at the time of sterilisation had the most pronounced effect on strong regret. So women younger than 30 years old at the time of sterilisation were more likely to request IVF treatment than women in the 30 to 34 year category. Um, and those who had it done at the same time as cesarean section, they had a three times higher risk of regret as compared to people who had a cesarean and then waited several months mm. before they had it done by keyhole operation later. Uh, and they also noted that there was a strong protective effect um, for women with two or more children compared to childless women. So, again, it's, it's frustrating because we don't have gold standard evidence but mm. you can see maybe why this type of data does make some doctors a bit nervous about just offering it to anyone that requests it i can totally understand the c-section data though because if you've just done labor and delivery you never you don't want to ever do that again but a, <laughs> yeah. a, few, a few years later you might change your mind so i can that's True. the one i understand the most yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess my comment is just that it's there is, there is a lot of grey area and it has to be an individualised discussion. And, yeah, I totally agree, Sarah, saying a blanket no is not helpful. Mm. So can you guys tell me what procedures you actually had done? I had a tubal litigation, so I had the mm -hmm. clamps. Yep. So I had salpingectomy. That means the tubes were moved. Yep. Oh, wow. Mm, so two quite different operations actually just for some context so there are a range of methods for permanent contraception that are used the most common one in australia which is possibly what you've had done louise uses what we call filshy clips mm. and so it's usually a keyhole procedure is that yep. what you had done yeah and they basically use these little clips or clamps that occlude the fallopian tubes and that obviously prevents sperm passing through to fertilize an egg can I ask a question? Yes. I wasn't offered anything else, obviously, because we went through the public system. It was, this is what, essentially, this is what you're getting. Yeah. What is the benefit of having the tubes removed? Did you get to choose that? I didn't. I just, maybe sort of I did, because I actually said that's my preference. Oh, and I okay. had like three different types of options, like okay. three, three different options presented, like clips as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think from what my GP said, she said that it's a doctor's preference, kind of, what yeah. they choose. That does come into it partly, what procedure the, the doctor prefers to do. I think in general the filshy clips or the tubal ligation, we generally call it, is the most commonly one, yeah. the most commonly performed procedure in the public system. Obviously in privately there's probably a bit more variability about what people do. Yeah. Obviously when you remove both tubes, the chance of having a successful reversal is <laughs> very, very low. <laughs> so that kind of stuff comes into it as well. But yeah, just so people are aware, it's not just one procedure. There's any number of procedures that people can have done. So after you had the permanent contraception procedure did you guys have any concerns that oh maybe I do want kids in the future or have you experienced any of that regret that we've talked about definitely not on mine I'm actually three weeks late for a period so <laughs> I don't know what's going on there we'll find out keep tuned <laughs> <laughs> um no not at all wonderful well, that's good. They're your <laughs> ideal candidates there if you're in that situation. That's wonderful. And what were you guys told about how reversible your particular procedures 
were if you did change your mind later down the track? I was told it's not reversible. Yeah. So unless I know how to regenerate myself, it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest, probably didn't really listen to that part because it's not an option for me yep. health-wise anyway. So I, I'm fairly certain it's not, like it's 100% not reversible from what we were discussing. However, I have heard of people carrying to term afterwards yeah. by choice. So Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the how reversible it is depends on the type of procedure you've had done. Um, and with the filshy clips, it kind of depends a little bit on where on the fallopian tubes they place them and, you know, lots of different things. Basically, if you've had an operation that is theoretically reversible, still only about 50% of people would have a successful pregnancy after that anyway. So it's certainly not a guarantee. Um, and the alternative, of course, is IVF if, if you do change your mind and that's not um, an option. Well, fun fact, my mum and dad met late and my mum's tubes were already tied and she got hers untied and had me. So oh, wow. it does work. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! <There you> go. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> and so did, were you guys told about any limitations of the procedures you had done, like failure rate or anything yeah. else? I don't actually remember what I was told. <laughs> but um, when I had my appointment, my gynecologist actually wrote down everything for me, like uh, this is the failure rate you can still get pregnant this percentage. The vasectomy is better in this percentage. Mm. Yeah. Mirana is better in this percentage. You sure you want to do it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, I got a, a very similar, like it was a printout and it had all yeah. the information on it from vasectomies all the way through to hysterectomies. So all of the options, this is the numbers for this and the numbers. Yeah. So the good. information yes. was definitely provided and highlighted. Yeah. <laughs> you both had very thorough doctors by the sounds of it. We generally quote, you know, surgical contraception is one of the most effective options. And the failure rate of the typical procedure we do in Australia is about two to three cases per 1,000 over 10 years. So obviously that's very effective. Unfortunately, if there is failure of the procedure, so if you do fall pregnant, there's a higher risk that that pregnancy will be an ectopic pregnancy. So that's where the embryo implants outside of the uterus. And usually in these situations, it's in the tube where that scarring has occurred up to about 40% of them. And I guess the only other main limitation is obviously you still don't have any protection against STIs with this form of contraception, but most people are aware of that. After the procedures, did you guys have any complications at all? No, everything actually mm -hmm. went fine. <laughs> that's good. They couldn't wake me up. So that was fun. They had right. to really oh. work on that. And then I, I went straight back to sleep. They pumped me full of morphine. But I think that was just a surgical. It right, more an anaesthetic thing. Yep. Than the actual operation itself. It took me a while to get back on my feet. But with the risks of my legs, they had to, we had to, you know, I had to wear the socks for weeks and yep. do different movements and things like that to make yeah. sure I didn't get a DVT. Yeah. Okay. And just, again, information for, for listeners who may not be aware, some of the risks that people are counselled about are obviously with any operation, there's a risk of bleeding, but it's very rare to need blood transfusions or anything with these kind of procedures. Again, every operation carries the risk of infection, always a risk that we there could be damage to surrounding structures. So obviously they're operating in and around the fallopian tubes, but the bowel, the bladder, the ureters, blood vessels are all very close. Very small risk of needing to convert the keyhole operation to an open operation. And then one of the most common, I guess, risks or side effects is just post-op pain. 
Did you guys get any of that, like, diaphragm irritation from the gas in your tummy? That's no, pretty common. thank goodness. Yeah. No. <laughs> I actually got it for, like, 10 seconds. No. Oh. <laughs> so, like, you know, when they, you have the surgery, you wake up, and then they tell you you can go home if you pass urine, right? Yeah. And um, so I got out of bed somehow and then tiptoed to the bathroom. And when I got back, because the gas started moving around, everything hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, for 10 seconds... Well, that's good. And then it just settled down. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. I have a few questions now that people have sent in via Instagram. So probably be a combination of you guys and me answering them. The first one, though, what was the cost of the procedure for you guys? Because mine was considered medical as opposed to elective, I didn't have to pay anything. Fabulous. And you, yeah, usually in the public system, you wouldn't pay regardless. So that's good. And what about you, Sarah? Do you remember? Um, because I went private, I paid around five grand. Um, and I also have medical insurance, private insurance. So I think I paid around a thousand out of pocket. The rest was covered. Okay, that's good. So did that include like the anaesthetist? Yes, and it included everything. Appointments before and after um, and all that kind of not stuff? Not appointments before and after. The appointments... That might be 5,500, I think, <laughs> because the five grand was just the surgery. Yeah. But you got most back. Uh, yeah, I got the, um, I just paid around a thousand for anesthesia. Yeah. That was out of pocket. Okay. Well, that's pretty reasonable. Mm. Considering how quickly you had it done once you found someone yeah. too, that's excellent. <laughs> the next question just says, are there any benefits for people with endometriosis or PCOS? And I'll just very quickly answer this. The short answer is no, we don't do tubal ligations or permanent contraception for this indication. I guess the only thing is that sometimes you can address both issues during the same operation. So that's kind of the only advantage if you're excising an endometrioma or something like that. You can also do a tubal ligation at the same time, but it's certainly not a treatment for either of those things. This person has asked, is it done on young women without children? (laughs) So you're a great example of that. (laughs) Yep, you may have to shop around, but it can be done. This person's just asked, what's the downtime from physical activity? What did you guys find with that? I think it's dependent. I mean, I was 31 when I had mine, so not much older, but I was exhausted. So I think it played a big part in my recovery, as well as needing some extra assistance for my legs and doing exercises when I just wanted to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I get the physio onto you in hospital. Yeah. I'm fairly certain. No, because it's public. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm fairly certain that um, I was allowed to drive straight away and everything. I wasn't allowed to lift my baby for six weeks. So just little things like that. Yeah. Mm, So for me, it took around three to four weeks before I could like do something more. Um, I try to walk longer distances and by longer distances, I mean going to Woolies 500 meters away from my home <laughs> mm-hmm. in a week too. And it was a mistake. Right. <laughs> but after like three, four weeks, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. The walking, everything felt very heavy. Yeah. So if you've given birth before, I would actually liken it to that afterwards where everything feels like it's pushing down and right. you sort yeah. of like feel like you're carrying a bowling ball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess it's one of those things that's really just dependent on the individual. Next question says, um, so what are the hormonal side effects? And it's, well, I guess, first of all, did you guys notice any change to your menstrual cycle or anything like that after your operations? Not really. Um, I can't really speak about it because I'm on the pill and I use it to skip periods. So I'm not really a good person to answer that question. (laughs) 
But um, in general, because your ovaries are still intact, there should not be any change to your periods. Yeah, exactly. So because the fallopian tubes are what's being operated on and they're not the hormone producing organs in the pelvis, it is the, the ovaries, as you say, you shouldn't notice any significant change from a hormonal perspective. So your cycle should remain the same, you know, mood, all of that kind of stuff shouldn't be affected by these types of procedures. And this question is a good one. It says, why can some people still get pregnant if the procedure is done correctly? And this is super, super rare, like exceedingly rare. It can sometimes be because there's actually pre-existing undiagnosed pregnancy at the time of the operation. Obviously, that is not ideal. There is actually some thought that the fallopian tubes, depending again on what type of operation, they can kind of recanalize. So if they've been occluded, they can kind of undo that. But again, that's super, super rare. And sometimes it's just because defective devices or um, that kind of stuff. Did you guys have any resources that you found helpful when you were kind of thinking about this or going through the process? Not really. <laughs> Google. Not much out there. <laughs> um, for me, that would probably be Reddit. Um, there is a child-free Reddit. Mm-hmm. So r slash child-free. They have like a huge list of doctors, huge list of resources for different types of procedures and things like that. So probably that would be my resource. That's where I was looking for different doctors that actually could agree to my procedure. Yeah. And was that particularly, like specifically for Australia or was it? So most of the people that are there are from States, but there are different resources for Europe and Australia as well. Okay, that's handy to know. I'll link some some information in the show notes just about like, you know, pros, cons, that kind of stuff, all the things we've talked about today. Did you guys have anything else to add or anything we've not talked about? No, I think you got it covered. Cool. Yeah, pretty much. Thank you so much. I guess to summarise, I just give a little summary of surgical contraception. So it's safe and effective and quite a popular option in Australia. Um, it is viewed as being permanent, so you should not have it performed if you're unsure whether or not you may want children someday in the future. Complications and side effects are rare, but you should talk about your specific risks with your doctor. Uh, And it's always wise to at least consider other less invasive options that might be suitable for you. And just to highlight, I think people get a bit frustrated when they go to a doctor asking for tubal ligation and they kind of crap on about all the other types of contraception. But it's actually an obligation that doctors have to just make sure that you're aware. So bear with us as we do that kind of thing. (laughs) If you have any questions or comments about what we've discussed today, please feel free to join our Facebook group. And we would love if you could give us a review on the podcast app to help us reach others who might find this information useful. Thanks so much, guys. Thank Thank you. Bye. You to you, you to me, you to us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Podcast.